Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. And I am Chris Marone. And this podcast is being brought to you from the middle of a fog field. Chris, I am in the middle of renovation in my studio. Uh, we had a little bit of water damage done. And so we we rebuilt the, the walls by putting on some new drywall. And they came in the other day. And they sanded the drywall. Have you ever experienced oh, someone yep. sanding drywall? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, I have. Well, Chris, I blame you because you did not warn me. <laughs> I covered my equipment nope. as best I could. Nope. No, I should have just taken my equipment no. out of the house, moved it down the street in the storage locker. My entire studio, it was like a fog of plaster when I walked in. Of course, all my computer equipment, it was covered. But when I took the covering off, it was just a mess. And so I, I <laughs> vacuumed, which I think I killed two vacuum cleaners by doing that. I don't know. But nonetheless, Chris, I am doing the best I can uh, to, to see my computer through this dense fog. I'm just exaggerating a little bit here. But hey, how is, how is your week going, Chris? It's actually pretty solid. It's moving into the middle 90s here in Arizona. So that doesn't bode well for the summer. Uh, but other than that, we're, you know, baseball's back. Uh, Miguel Cabrera is about to hit 3,000 hits for his career. You know, hopefully the Dodgers tank this season and everything will be great. All right. Well, you're mid, it's, you're saying it's hitting the mid 90s here in Arizona. So I think that yeah. means pretty soon, within a couple of weeks, you guys will be discarding the sweaters. I assume it'll be warm yeah. enough then you guys could throw away the, put away the sweaters till next winter comes. You guys are such wimps down there. I cannot wait to get out there and play some <laughs> golf. I'm looking at the golf courses. I heard you can get a steal of a deal if you play golf in Arizona during the summer months. You can. So that's absolutely what I'm going to do. I am cheap if nothing else. So my brother and I are going to go down there to, to Arizona where we can get on these really nice golf courses for hopefully something less than a hundred bucks. Maybe you can yeah. steer me in the right way, but I don't care if it's 120 degrees. Chris, I hear it's a dry heat. So that makes all the difference in the world. Right. Uh, and so, uh, well, that's good. Well, the, um, there's been a lot in the news this last week when it comes to legal stuff. You and I were going over our in our pre-production conversations, and I think we probably went about an hour just talking yeah. about all that's out there. So I have no idea how long this podcast is going to last. So why don't we jump right in? Let's uh -huh. talk about the biggest lawsuit this last week, the biggest legal matter. No, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. We're going to talk about that here in just a bit. You're going to bring us up to speed on what's happening to my two favorite actors. <laughs> Let's start with the mask mandate. The oh, big one. Joicing in the streets, in the aisles of all these airplanes out there, because the mask mandate that was, uh, I believe it was Biden's administration, created this rule requiring everyone in public transport. So if you're on an airplane, if you're on a train, if you're in a carpool lane, you got a second person in your car. If, if you are in that kind of communal transportation mode, you got to wear a mask. That was the order issued up the decree from on high. A mm -hmm. federal court this week, a federal judge struck down that mask mandate and said, nope, you overstepped your powers there, Joe Biden, and I am going to slap this down. And there was rejoicing in the aisles. Now, Chris, was this rejoicing ill-timed? Was it justified? What are your thoughts on the legality of this order? So... I, the, the order is, the order from Joe Biden 
and the CDC, I think, is a legal order. Um, I think that the reasoning that the judge in Florida broke it down isn't exactly sound, but that's my own opinion. I think that her her order to to revoke the order is completely legal and well within her powers of being a judge because I believe in the legal system and that elections have consequences. And so I it, am I happy that the mask mandate is gone? Selfishly, yes, because I ride the bus to and from work every single day. I'm usually the only person on the bus and I have to wear a mask and it is inconvenient. Now, putting my my selfishness aside, you know, be it that this is the the week after Easter, um I think that there are merits to the mask mandate and that in some instances Maybe not an overarching if you're in the carpooling with someone else, but I think in some instances it should be allowed and well, the, the mandate should here. happen. You brought up several different issues I want to touch on. Right. The first issue is do you think Americans were respecting this mask mandate? In other words, if you, I assume at airports. Only on flights. Were, okay. <laughs> Only on the flights because there were so many videos, so many chef's kiss videos of people getting ripped off of flights because they weren't abiding by the mask mandate. Right, right. All right. So it's kind of my impression from going on public transportation and going to the grocery store that Americans, for the most part, were over this whole mask yes. mandate. I don't know why. Is it COVID fatigue? Is this the idea that they don't think masks actually work? But I, I kind of got the same impression that you got, which is, not too many people were even following it now anyways. And so, but let's, let's set that aside. All right. There's two different issues, legal issues. And that's what we're doing here. Chris, you and I are trying to unpack what is the law as it relates to this particular issue. This mm -hmm. is Monday morning kind of quarterbacking. Both you and I dug in to this opinion and two issues hit me square away uh, right away mm -hmm. as being the, the central issues in this case. The first issue is this. Did the agency, did Biden actually have power under the law to do what it did, to issue a, a, um, mandate. Or a mandate requiring everyone in public transportation to wear a mask? Well, let's jump right into it. It is. It is. It comes from the uh, the, the CDC. I believe section two sixty four, and and this is what it says. It says the CDC, with the approval of the. The Secretary of Health and Human Services is authorized to make and enforce such regulations as in his judgment are necessary to prevent the introduction, transmission, or spread of communicable diseases from foreign mm -hmm. countries into the states or possessions or from one state or possession into any other state or or possession. For right. purposes of carrying out and enforcing such regulations, the CDC may provide for the inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation, Mm -hmm. Pest extermination, destruction of animals or articles found to be so infected or contaminated as to the sources of dangerous infection to human beings and other measures, as in his judgment, may be necessary. All right, now right. I just read that entire part. That is the, the enabling words, if you will, that would theoretically give the president and his uh, agency officials power to issue this mask mandate. All right, so Chris, two things step jump right out to me and, and also to the court, and that is this sanitation right. is that wearing a, a mask related to the sanitation powers. What say you? I say yes, because, okay. and, and I, I say yes, because 
as you read the read the the uh, the order by the judge, um, she walks through why it's not sanitation, and I disagree with all of her points on why it's not sanitation. So I think it so is sanitation. How did sanitation. the court do that? How did the court do that? What did the, how did the court analyze whether oh. or not mask mandate is related to sanitation? She starts her discussion with the definition of sanitation from um, Merriam's Dictionary, okay. the, ni- the 1946 edition. I found that hilarious. They went back to the 1940s and pulled up old definitions under this thought of, well, they used this word in the 1940s. <laughs> That's when they wrote the statute. Let's look at the definition in 1940. Let's ignore right. the fact that it's been, I'm assuming, uh, you know, reenacted several times since then. But let's go right. back to the 1940s. Right. And they also used um, Funk and Wagner, which I didn't know existed until law school. So I don't know if everybody else knows that Funk and Wagner exists outside of law school, but I did not. So they used these to essentially lay um, readings of the word citation, lay definitions of the word sanitation. And the way that the judge read it was one definition for sanitation means cleaning measures to make clean, to clean up. Like when you take a Clorox wipe and you wipe down your table, that's sanitizing the table. That's how the plain English read to it. The second definition in both Funk and Wagner and in the Merriam Dictionary is to keep clean or to keep from getting dirty. Okay. Which is what... both. Both, Both definitions were found in dictionaries, popular dictionaries that were in existence back in the right. 1940s. And she cited to both of them in her opinion and said, because of judicial um, autonomy and judicial um, candor, she gets to choose which definition she wants to follow in interpreting the statute, which, again, is well within her power of being a judge. This is long-established law that the point of the judicial branch is to interpret the law. Okay. I mean, that's like third-grade government, right? The executive well, branch enforces the law. Hold on a second, hold on a the second there. I, I kind of see where you're going, but I'm going to quibble just a little bit. Because yep. one of the issues is, at what point do, do the courts give deference to right. the agency's interpretation of the law. That's called the Chevron defense. And that's and where I, we're going with this. There are several justices like Gorsuch who, during his confirmation proceedings. It was brought up that, hey, as a 10th Circuit judge, Judge Gorsuch, you did not like the Chevron uh, defense. Not you at did all. not think courts should be given deference to agency decisions, but the court has had multiple opportunities to revoke or to rescind the Chevron deference and has yet to do this. At a certain level, what the judiciary is supposed to do is, is give deference to the agency's interpretation of these rules. The thought that they're the ones on the forefront, they're the ones that are dealing with sanitations more often than not, dealing with communicable diseases. Maybe, just, just maybe, I'm throwing this out there, maybe the agencies know a little bit more than some judge who was just confirmed because they're good at reading the law. Yes. I'm yes, off my yes. soapbox, so go ahead and continue. Well, I'm no. going to get off my soapbox right now and let you continue <laughs> with your wonderful uh, analysis. <laughs> well, and that and and the Chevron rule is part of it, but that I think that comes later because she addresses the Chevron rule later and says it doesn't really apply. Um, so but right here, why not give def? Why not say this? Okay, okay. Um, there are two different definitions. There's definition one and right. definition two because Noah right. Webster told us this. Right. Why could it not be that Congress met? 
Yeah, both. I mean, they're both common understandings of the word right. sanitation. Why right. does it have to be either or? Why can't it be just both? That's how I approach my dessert menu. Uh, you know what? Oh, yes. Why pick between the ice cream and the cheesecake? I'm going to have my cheesecake a la mode. Well, why is Always. that not a thing? Well, because if you say both, then this is a moot point. Then the CDC has the authority to do what they're doing. Until you get down to the other part of the argument, right? You lose on this point of sanitation if you say, if you use Chevron, and if you say both could be the answer, the the, pla the plaintiffs lose. That That's a right. loser argument. And so the judge here sided with the plaintiffs in, in believing and interpreting what the the law says that CDs that sanitation is only limited to physical cleaning measures as compared to keeping something clean now for the yes. record the government took the position that the that sanitation means the promotion of hygiene and prevention yes. of disease by maintenance of sanitary conditions yes okay chris i got to tell you i am a conservative i, yes, you I are. hate wearing masks and we get all yes, that yes you do I don't see why that's not a reasonable understanding. If you are going to give any deference at all to right. to the agency's decisions here, why is that not reasonable? I know I'm asking the choir this, but go ahead. Right. Why is that not a reasonable understanding? Be because this this has become way too politicized. At the honestly, at the end of the day, both both sides and I I I. I want to make as middle of the road here as possible because you know that I am a liberal and have my feelings and opinions towards this. You're, you're actually a closet conservative, but go on. Go on. Of course. Well, we're, well, you're a closeted liberal. It's all the same. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it became super politicized. That's at the end of the day. That's and it. It seeps into everything that we do. It's and it's, I'm going to knock on the judge for a second. Okay. She is not the most qualified person. not coming person. from Joel. It's coming from nope. Chris. Just this, is sure Chris the this is clear. This is Chris Marone going, part of our judicial appointment process is horribly broken. We have so many judges that need to fill seats so many times. We cannot properly vet judges for positions. This specific judge has roughly, before she hit the bench, eight years experience. Okay. So experience and and it doesn't eight matter years. hold on eight years experience as total what? as a as she worked as a government lawyer and then she worked in in private as a judicial clerk so not she, as a judge you mean eight years experience as uh, a lawyer because i believe from, she was 33 when she was confirmed yeah, from being barred from passing the bar exam and getting your bar card to being a federal court judge there okay. is an eight-year block okay there's a lot of things to be said about getting experience there's a lot of things to be said about being lead being lead counsel trying a case. There's a lot of things to be said about arguing cases in front of the federal court that gives you the understanding of how how the system works and how it's going on. This judge didn't have that experience, so coming in and and being able to make these high profile and high profile cases and high profile decisions, don't get me wrong. Liberals and conservatives both go out and forum shop on where they're going to get the most favorable reactions to their cases. It is it is no it's no coincidence that a that a judicial appointee by President Trump who has very little experience was the one hearing this case.
Well, it could have been that a, a, a an Obama appointed judge got it there in Florida. It's not only Trump judges there in in Florida, but I get what you're saying. Is she does has she is pretty young. I got to admit when I when I heard that she was 33 years old when she was confirmed, I thought, well, they never asked me. But nonetheless, hey, right. she 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 might be qualified. I don't know. I I get what you're saying as far as she is. Yeah. She does seem rather young, but maybe she's a prodigy. I don't know, but. Here's, I do think, and I will say this, Chris, because this is going to kind of coincide with what right. you just said. When I read the first part of this opinion, this is my honest God reaction. Right. I thought, okay, this sounds like an argument that a, a partisan party would make on appeal when you're just trying to make an argument, but you're barely making it with a straight face. It's like, you really don't believe this argument, but sometimes you make arguments just because you, you got to throw something out there. That was the reaction I got yeah. when I read this. Really? Are you telling me, Judge, that sanitation cannot include both the cleaning of something and keeping something clean? Because those sound pretty much like the same thing. And I don't see why the CDC was not given that kind of discretion to make those kind of calls. To me, that seems like a no-brainer. Right. That being said, and I think this opinion is going to be upheld on appeal. Uh, in case you are not aware, listeners, no. the uh, Biden administration did announce it was going to appeal this right. decision. And so how will this decision stand up on appeal? I am going to suggest it is going to withstand uh, the appeals process. And here's why. The second reason. Right. So the first reason was, does the CDC have the power to, um, to issue this kind of rule? I'm going to say the court messed up and that the CDC actually does have the power. The ordering of masks is consistent with the sanitation argument. I, I think there's, there's some room there. Here's why I think the court messed up. Uh, or, or the court got it right. The second issue, which is when you do pass right. a rule, all right, when you do pass a rule, then you have to follow, you have to give notice and allow for a public comment period. And here... That was not done. Instead, yeah. the the Biden administration relied on this this good cause exception. Say, oh no, this was an emergency situation. We did not have time to allow for a comment period for a notice and comment period. I'm going to call BS on that. Right. I think you, because the, at this point in time, this this mask mandate did not even come out until Biden took over office. And it was a couple of months into his administration, or at least I think four weeks uh, that it came in, maybe two weeks. But in, in right. any event, like uh, day we could say it was day after he got sworn in and the mask mandate came out the next day. OK, the, the, the bottom line is. We were already a, well a year, if not a year and a couple months into this pandemic. The pandemic was already, the numbers were already going down. The curve had already reached its top and was on the downward trajectory. Of course, we knew that later on the curve came back, but it was on the downward trajectory. We are over a year into the pandemic. Why was time so much of the essence that you could not follow the normal rules of notice and comment? And they did not do that. They're trying to claim, oh no, time was of the essence here. Right. I'm not buying that. I think they messed up. They did not do it. They did not follow the proper procedures. And I think the court is going to uphold um, uh, th th this decision I because they did not follow the proper procedures. Right. I think that it'll be, sh I will think that the part about um, her analysis on sanitation will be 
will be struck in, be struck down and said, no, the CDC under Chevron does have the right to interpret the statute as they see it. And the judge was wrong in this part, but I think they are going to uphold it on the procedural ground of not having a notice and comment period. And we saw it when the court went against Donald Trump for DACA, we've right. seen it like we've seen it a couple of, and it's the procedural point. And, and I, and I, I agree with you. The judge stumbled into the correct law. I don't think that's in reading the opinion, which if you have 59 pages and have a sleepless night, this will put you to bed real quick. <laughs> like she, if, if this is what the judge was going for, this would have been front and center. This would have been the argument over the, over sanitation, over everything else. It would have been cons like, if this was Gorsuch ruling on it, or if this was even Amy Comey Barrett ruling on it, they would have said, no, they're the, the Americans have a freedom of redressing your government. You have a freedom of speech and you have a freedom to petition. And those freedoms were taken away by not having a notice and comment period for this time. And one this of is the being struck down. One of the things the judge said that I really agreed with was the judge said the judge rejected the CDC's arguments and no, we could not have had a public comment period because we really didn't want to hear what the public had to say. Right. So, no, no, you can't do that. You right, can't right. avoid the public comment period because you're afraid of what the public might say. That's why we have why a have public comment, comment yeah. period. All right, one other thought about this case I do want to throw out there. I did not like the court's analysis when it came to the sanitation argument. But what I did think is a potential good argument, I don't think it was well articulated, was this constitutional idea that this is different. A, a mask mandate is ordering you as your, on your person to do something to your person in order to engage in traveling about the country. I don't know how you articulate right. that constitutional argument. I think the court struggled with it. The court, the court did say, look, so. un, under the CDC regulations, there were some that applied to the persons and some that applied to property. And so this one might apply to the persons. And so they did not have that authority. I'm wondering if that argument is not better couched in constitutional terms. Like you actually have a, you have a more of a privacy interest when it comes to things that you put on yourself. And I right. wonder if, if we don't see this become more articulated at the appellate level or at the Supreme court level, but we'll have to wait and see how that comes out. But nonetheless, that was a hot topic uh, this last week. Oh and insane. It was appealed. And so we'll have more to, to talk about as this case progresses. All right, let's talk a little bit about the high school football prayer case. I know we touched on it a little bit last week, but they have they have not held argument yet. They're going to hold argument, I think, on Monday this upcoming week for this case. It might be Tuesday. It's the first part of this next week. This case deals with a high school football coach that uh, often said a prayer at the conclusion of games there in the middle of the field. And... And so the issue is, is that okay? Is that constitutional? Chris, I think you and I are both in agreement that the first thing that strikes us about this case is this highlights the art, the artistry of advocacy, how you present right. your case. Because if you read the brief of the coach and then you read the brief of the school district, you are left with this thought. 
are they even talking about the same case? Because these right. facts do not seem to line up at all. There are hundred percent two different cases. The school district is saying, "Oh no, look, this is actually a classroom assignment. This is a field trip to the middle of the field where, where students right. are are compelled to participate in this prayer and given passing grades." That's kind of the thought process you get when you read right. the school district's argument. When you read Paul Clement's argument, who's arguing on behalf of the the, the football coach, you get this idea of. Oh no, he's in some back corner with the door locked and the shade shut. He's just doing this on his own private time. He he waited, you know, a couple of hours at the right. end of the conclusion of the game before he bothered to close his eyes and say a quick prayer. I mean, that's the kind of my idea you get from reading these two briefs. And so, I don't know, is this dishonest lawyering or is this lawyering at its highest and finest levels? Oh, highest and finest levels. These these lawyers they're not um, for any reason going to jeopardize their bar cards. They're not going to jeopardize anything um, to to um, to just make a case. Right. This isn't a right. career make or break case. Um, and and, you know, policy lawyering shops like ADF. Right. They they make their career on taking cases to the Supreme Court. So they know right. they know how to navigate what to do and what not to do at the Supreme court. These lawyers are at the highest part of their game. They are focusing their strongest cases. They're making their best arguments. And I think you're going to see almost to the level of Clarence Darrow type arguments at this case, um, because of the level that we've already seen the, the maneuvering in writing. I think the, I, I, and and we're nerds, Joel. I totally get it that we think this is cool to listen to Supreme Court arguments and listen to, you know, Shakespeare the way Shakespeare should be done. And it's going to be interesting to listen to how these people argue the case because it's so vastly different. It's two. It's the tale of two cities, right? It's it is L.A. and New York. It is not. Right. They're not even like they're not even finding common middle ground here. So I'm really interested to see how that pans out. As my Supreme, as my constitutional law professor told me, you don't use the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uses you. And so here's what these lawyers are doing. They are presenting a theory of the case that they think they can get the middle ground justice to go along with. And so right. uh, the argument from the school district is that, you know, even Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, or maybe not Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and Roberts, they're going to have a problem with a classroom assignment of prayer in the middle of, of the, the school day. I mean, that's just right. uh, under our current precedent. That, that's just problematic. And so right. uh, that's how he's presenting this case. He's trying to, to force these facts into that theory. On the other side, Paul Clement is saying, no, here's something I think I can get six justices to sign up on, which is right. a just because you are a, a public employee does not mean you have to shield and hide your religiosity, the fact that you no, are a religious no. person. Religion is not a badge no. of dishonor that we have to like, you know, hide from if we want to engage in public discourse. And so he should not have to, you know, be embarrassed by the fact that he is a religious person. This is him doing it on his own private time after the game is concluded, kneeling and saying a prayer. How is this not something that is allowable under our free laws? All right, so which side is going to win? Well, we will give you a report next week after the Supreme Court's argument, but Chris, I gotta give a shout out to you for your Clarence Darrow reference. We have a bingo <laughs> scorecard, and I had Clarence Darrow on my bingo scorecard. Nailed it. I'm 
I'm waiting for the Johnny Cochran reference. Maybe one of these days you all make a Johnny Cochran reference as well. But hey, these are the great all-time lawyers. Right. And thank you for that reference. Well, right. and I mean, it's it's not a Williams Jenny Bryan because you know it, it is what it is. It's definitely a Clarence Darrow moment where they're gonna they're gonna use Dude. the court in every aspect necessary. Have you taken my scopes class? I have not. My scopes the monkey. You have, just dropped a Clarence Darrow and a William Jennings Bryan as if yeah. you've taken my uh, my uh, Scopes monkey trial case. I do these laws, these CLE classes where I talk about these trials of the centuries. And I do one class called, um, you know, the Scopes monkey trial, you know, litigating countercultural cases. And yeah, William Jennings Bryan, is, he's the main player there, as is Clarence Darrow. And so, hey, thank you. And I got two marks on my bingo scorecard. So, Boom. Hey, th thank you so much. All right. Hey, Chris, we're going to come back to you now because I asked you in pre-production planning, I said this. I said, Chris, have you heard about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard um, trial? And you were like giddy. You're like, oh, these, you know all about this. And so first I want to know why do you know all about this trial, but then bring us up to speed on what is going on to two of my favorite actors. Well, one of the one of the things in their favorite actors, actors very loosely. Um, I watched Aquaman. That is a very loose term when you say actor. Hey, um, hey, hey, don't be dogging on Aquaman. <laughs> so one of the things that I've been paying really close attention to this cycle and for the past couple of years is defamation cases. We've talked about defamation a lot. When is it defamation? You know, we talked about the Sarah Palin case. We've talked about. We'll now talk about the debt case. We'll talk about um, like Harvey Weinstein and stuff like that. Those defamation cases, um, Bill Cosby, all that stuff. So I've been following a lot of defamation because it's a really hot topic right now with the attack on media um, from a lot of different sides, the, the whole nine yards. So it's really interesting to me in the news. And I don't know for what reason, and I can't, I, I have no other spark than it just seemed very interesting to see when you know when amber heard came out and said that she had been abused by johnny depp my first inclination was to believe amber heard that was right. my gut bias to go oh my gosh you know women rarely speak out about being abused good on her for having the strength to do so etc cetera, etc cetera. but now as i've as i've examined my bias and i've examined what's going on and looking at the trial i'm really over here watching johnny depp you know talk about his addiction talk about raising right. children talk about the abuse he sustained as a child talk about all these things and on on my level i'm like i just i don't see johnny depp being this abusive person that amber heard and the media has made him out to be okay chris can i make a couple points here uh yes. what you're just saying because I, I i have a problem with with some of these things uh, about the, right. the story because right. you mentioned that, yeah, uh, Amber Heard made some allegations of spouse abuse. Now, generally speaking, we never question that. When someone is going to come up with allegations of spouse abuse, that is a very serious matter, and you don't even question it. Right? We get that. But, Chris, at the same time, I have talked to a lot of lawyers, and I know they pull anything out of their litigation hat and pursue it if they think it will give them an advantage in court. And so right. during divorce proceedings, so the case is going on during divorce, I got to tell you, is it fair to say that if you are using an argument for the first time as a litigation strategy, 
that maybe it's it's suspect. I mean, I I don't know. Is that fair to say or not? It it, it is and it isn't right. It does it deserve to be followed up on and discussed? Absolutely. If it's an issue, especially if it's spousal abuse, my gosh, let's bring that up and let's do it. Because at the end of the day, there are children involved and right. we don't want to be raising broken children. That's where I've, a lot of our societal problems run from is that we're raising broken children. I so, actually saw firsthand a case between a, a husband and a wife. They have been divorced where the wife lied about abuse just to get custody of the kids. And the lawyer mm -hmm. told this person, yes, this is the way to go because courts don't question it. And, and then it came out later on that, no, that person actually did lie. And it was, it was admitted on the record the person lied just as a tactical advantage because right. the courts don't want to second guess it. And so you, whenever it happens in the context of litigation, I can say, to me, it's not the same thing as when it comes up, I, but maybe you need to give deference to it no matter what. Right. But that's where this case comes up. And the second point I want to make here is we live in a cancel culture where if you even make an allegation against someone, that will destroy their career. And, right. and so if if you've seen the new Edward Scissors hands, I got to tell you, Giant Depp is not starring in it because right. he has pretty much been canceled from Hollywood. Essentially, yes. And yeah, that's, I mean, he, he's been doing the um, Pirates of the Caribbean movies for a millennia, right. right? He got, he got fired from Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He got fired from the Dumbledore movie, the, the right. new Fantastic Beast movie. So he legitimately has a case of damages from her allegations. Now to point out, and we're talking about the legality. If you make an argument in court you cannot be sued for defamation based upon what right. you allege in court. But here's the problem. Right. When you then have a dual strategy, see, we're going to try this in court, but we're also going to try this in the court of public opinion and issue press releases. Okay. Now what you say to the press, right. That is actionable in a defamation case. Yeah. And so, and that's what she did, right? She, made actual defamation lost uh, claims and it cost Johnny Depp a ton of money. And we're not right. talking like a ton of money, like a hundred grand. We're talking multi seven to eight digit deals where he would be making a absolute truck ton of money. So I, I, I don't want to say I enjoy watching people's lives play out like this because it's horrible, but watching how the court is going to examine this defamation case versus the Sarah Palin defamation case um, is really going to be something that I like to follow. And part of it, and I think I've spoken on this podcast before that I'm a recovering alcoholic and seeing Johnny Depp, who is a recovering opium addict, you know, I kind of feel for him trying to get his life and his, and his, his life together for his kids is admirable. And he, this at any time, especially at this high stressful, he could relapse. So right. to watch him stay strong and not hit the opiates again during something stressful like that, it's a testimony that recovery works and that we can all get past our addictions. Man, is it even possible in this case, Chris, to actually, at the end of the day, know what happens? I mean, what if she is telling the truth? Right. Then it, how how would we actually know? Because if she, it, what I do know is this: if if um Johnny Depp wants to ever be in any movie again, he has to fight these charges tooth and nail. Which would include, right. if I was his lawyer, I would say, look, you, we got to bring a defamation case. This isn't true. So almost like right. no matter what, 
and only those two probably are going to know if this is true or not. He has to bring a defamation case if he ever wants to work again because he has to clear his name and just doing nothing. I'm not sure would clear his name, but nonetheless, uh, hey, we know you are the, our point man for this case. <laughs> so any developments uh, you are scouring the National Enquirer as we speak, I am sure uh, yes. on TMI, TZI, whatever that TMZ. TM, there you go, TMZ. You're going to follow us. So we can get the latest and the greatest on the Johnny Depp v. Amber Heard case. All right, it. it is now time for courtroom quarterback. Bum, ba, da, ba. Hey, Chris, this is my favorite time of the week because this is where, again, we did this podcast. We're going to talk about the legal news and we're yeah. going to bring the latest. But then it occurred to us that, Chris, you and I love to talk sports. So oh, why not at the end of this podcast, you and I, maybe no one's even listening at this point. I don't know. Let's just talk whatever we want to talk about when it comes to the world of sports. And I want to start with a, a couple of legal matters that also Ooh. deal with sports. The first one deals with a fine that Kyrie Irving received this week. If you don't know Kyrie Irving, he is a, um, a guard for the Brooklyn Nets. He used to play mm -hmm. for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Left yeah. it. I can't play with LeBron. It's too oppressive. I just can't stand LeBron. So he left LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he went to the Boston Celtics. That lasted all of two years. They went from a great yeah. team that I think went to the conference finals to barely making the playoffs. And so he left Boston and now is playing for the Nets. Well, yep. apparently there's not a lot of love lost between Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics fans because during the first game, in which I think he scored 37 or 40 points in an amazing game in defeat, uh, he flipped the bird to the Celtics fans. Now I have so many different ways I where so many different ways I want to go with this story. The first place I want to go is this. Chris, what is so offensive about giving someone your middle finger? I don't even know how that started to be such a thing, but here's when I was watching the ESPN highlights of what happened, they actually blurred out his hands. So you couldn't see what he was doing with uh -huh. his hands. Chris, am, am I wrong on this? What is so? I'm just not offended by seeing someone's middle finger. Should I be? I think. No, I don't. I you could be. I don't know what gets you offended. Actually, I do know what gets you offended, Joel. Pretty much nothing. Um, <laughs> but I think so. I was because we talked about this in pre-production, and I wanted to go see: is there any FCC rules? Is there any Nielsen rules? Is there any rules that are governing live TV? Right, like what? What's the delay? And there is some older rules about quote unquote obscenities being shown on primetime TV and okay. what could be considered family friendly programming, which is what sports have fallen under for years. Right, right. So I could see why the network would want to cover their butts and blur blurring out it out and blurring it out because they don't want to get a fine from that from the Federal Communications Commission. That is the only reason I can see why they would we all knew what it was. He held up his hand, he gestured, and then all of a sudden there was a blur. It's not the blur rocket to science. Me is the same thing. Right. As showing it, because it's not the word itself, right? right? It's not that, it's a symbol of it. How is the blur not also a symbol of what was actually said? 
I, I just found it hilarious. So Chris is actually a true story, but I was in third grade and okay. I rode the school bus to school every day. It's what we did. The school bus came by. I don't know if you were a school bus kind of person, but I not. ran the school, rode the school bus and there was a person on the bus and, and I saw them flip someone off. Ooh. I thought that meant that's how you fought. And so then uh, someone else said, Hey, let's get into a fight. And so then I, I basically gave the bird to this other person say, all right, put up your dukes here. Let's fight. I was going to hit them with my middle finger because that's what I thought it meant. That was a way to fight. Thankfully, this person was dying laughing at me and did not take me on that offer to fight or I would have had two broken fingers, but I had right. no idea where you, we even got the idea, maybe that's what your crack team of researchers should do this week. Google, where did it, where did the middle finger come to represent the right. F word? I, I have no idea on that, but I guess I'm, I got to admit, I'm a little bit curious now. Um, but apparently, so uh, Kyrie Irving was fined $50,000. Do you think that was right. a, a, a wise fine by the NBA? I think Adam the NBA Silver? is just finding people. Adam Silver's just finding people at this point. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he fined the referees when they didn't let LeBron win games. I'm pretty sure that <laughs> they fined, you know, Trey because he didn't cut his hair. I, I, you know, I, I don't. I, there, what, what's the point in finding Kyrie Irving? Is it bad sportsmanship? Maybe. Is it? Is it the possibility of exposing the NBA to some sort of potential government fine? That would be a good reason, right? right if you right. if you open up your employer for liability, you should get in trouble. Um, I, I got to tell you, I think Kyrie Irving flipping off the Boston fans is, is just positive for the NBA. I mean, it actually right. creates a little bit of interest. People are going to talk about it. They're going to hear about it in the news. It's a news story. I wonder what the reaction is going to be right. during the next game. So you know they actually like this, but maybe they don't want this to spiral out of right. control. So they got to do something. I got to tell you, if you were to, to find me, or, or, or if you were to steal $5 out of my wallet, that would hurt more than finding Kyrie Irving fifty thousand dollars. Right. So I'm not sure he's actually going to feel it, but that's what they decided to, I, to do. Um, what I, I read a quote the other day that says, um, "If a law is punishable by a fine, it is just the cost of doing business." All right. And I, like I think that. I think that's true. Now we know that every NBA player now knows that if you flip off a fan or a fan base, um. 50 grand. That's how much it costs. But it Here's, also it, it well, also bugs me cuz if we remember during in like the late 90s early 2000s Spike Lee used to sit courtside for right. the Knicks and yes. he would and Jack Nicholson used to do it in LA for the Lakers and they would antagonize the players. Right. Right? They would throw up the choke, they would call them names, they would scream obscenities and everybody just thought that was good basketball. We live in a different era now where right. if now if fans say something to the players, the players have a right and an expectation to get offended and to respond in kind. Now, as you and right. I talked pre-production, I grew up with this thought of sticks and stones don't break your bones or sticks and stones may break your bones. Words will never hurt me. Why are these these um, these athletes getting so offended by what these fans are right. saying. That being said, Chris, this is why I think the, the NBA needs to be worried about the situation. It just dawned on me. We're talking about a fan base. Fans are short for fanatics, which it might be short for fanatical. They're crazy and they don't think things through all the way. If this spirals out of control, 
I can see them taking it to a racial level because some fans are just utterly stupid. And so that's going to be an ugly scene that the NBA wants nothing of. And so the players should not be doing their part in escalating the the banter between right. the, the the people because you know the fans are possibly could respond in a highly inappropriate way right and that's not going to be good for the sport and so maybe they need to nip this in the bud before right. it gets to that level and one last thing on my opinion Kyrie Irving makes roughly 50 million a year if okay. i am making 50 million a year playing a playing a sport you can say whatever you want to me I'm just going to climb into my brand new car and not worry about buying gas. I'm going to drive it to my paid off house where I don't have to worry about a mortgage. And I'm going to sleep in my $80,000 pillows, which are not going to be bought at Walmart. So guess what, homie? Like you can scream and call me a POS and tell me I'm a crappy basketball player. That's fine. I don't come to your job and tell you you suck, but your job probably doesn't require a critique the way mine does. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice to live life that way when you just have so much money doesn't even bother you what you're putting in your gas tank. That must right. be nice. Which, by the way, does make the recent contract that was offered to Deshaun Watson so interesting slash right. alarming because the the, the 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 standard rule in NFL contracts is their series of one-year deals and right. no money is guaranteed past this one year. That's why you get signing bonuses. Right. But for the first time with the Deshaun Watson deal with the with the Cleveland Browns, the entirety of his contract, all of it, was guaranteed. And so the, right. the question is, why did the Browns cho- choose this person who is under all the suspicion? Yeah. Why choose him as the one person you're going to give an absolute guaranteed contract to? Tom Brady never got it. Patrick Mahomes did not get it, though Patrick Mahomes did get a very favorable deal. We can he explain did. that why. Uh, because you had to actually cancel it a year and a half before or something like that. That really does make it almost, in effect, an uncancelable deal. But nonetheless, this Deshaun Watson is the first contract in the NFL fully mm. guaranteed. So why pick him? But hey, let's leave on that thought. Chris, have a great week. I hope uh, the best for you. And hey, watch some NBA playoffs and watch the <laughs> Supreme Court and go out there. And don't discard your sweater just yet. Oh, geez. It might it might just dip down to the low 80s and you might need to pull your sweater back out. Oh, definitely. No, it is not even shorts weather yet. It's 95. It's not shorts weather yet. Come on, savages. All right. See you next week. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.